we we promised that we would sing a song, didn't we? Viagra in the water. Yes, I've not had a chance to learn it yet. It's been a busy week, but I will. It's been and a very I might busy week. Put it up as a I bonus went, episode. <laughs> I went online, Sam, and it's actually quite a well-known song by a group called Four Bitchin' Babes. It is, yes, apparently. So you want to you want to put that aside, do you, for another week? Uh, yeah, I don't know it yet. Oh, you can pull it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, but we'll only I, I need to learn it on guitar. Oh, you really? You're getting, you're going to the nth yeah, degree on this one. The, we're doing All the right, work. I'll, you're going full on. Okay, right, we'll leave that one for another episode. <laughs> a little bit of a teaser for you. Look forward to that one. Let's it see. is coming. I promise. Right. Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which two friends on different sides of the world, one is called Sam, he is me, one is called Tom, he is... I is who? That is it. And that is <laughs> up, up the bum. Oh, good. <laughs> We've kept a highbrow for all of eight seconds of the recording. Excellent. Superb. This is going to go well. The little history podcast in which two friends on different <laughs> sides of the world exchange stories on a theme each week. The historical topic is decided a week in advance, but everything else that happens is a surprise and usually degenerates into bum jokes fairly quickly. Never that quickly. This is uh, this is a new low for us. Fantastic. <laughs> What's the topic this week, Tom? <laughs> Bums. <laughs> That's what the this week. It's world's first week. <laughs> The theme is a world's first. What a cracking idea. It was a great idea, if you do say so yourself. I know. And you do. Wonderful (laughs) idea. Inspired. Inspired idea. Yes. And have you found a good one, Tom? Are you happy this week? I'm delighted. I'm absolutely delighted. I have have an adventure story, a famous adventure story, a very well-known one. But it's it's such a good one. It's worth going over again. And I'm hopefully going to take a slightly different angle. So yes, I'm very, very pleased. Good. What about you? I've done my usual and cheated slightly. I've done a failed world first, but it is a brilliant story. Oh, right. I'm afraid I've gone British again this week, which I have done a bit too much recently. So I'm going to try and uh, try and take it a little bit of a different direction next week. But this week, we're doing an eccentric Brit, <laughs> as I usually Excellent. do. <laughs> We like eccentric Brits. We certainly do. Very nice. Are we doing listener feedback? Oh, go on then. Let's do some... uh... What have listeners been saying? What what have listeners been saying? I think we're going to have to explain certain characters from a lower low. Oh, yes, we do. Yes. This is for Jiro. (laughs) Go on. You read the comment. Hi, guys. I have to thank you because of my (laughs) profession... I have to thank you because my professional meeting was a success. That's a a joke for anyone who listened to that episode. I still a fan of your podcast. I asked to myself and why we have so much swear words in the French language. That could be something we could research. Is there any historical reasons? I'm not sure. It could be a topic. For the next week, is it possible to translate in French? I was pissing on the door when I heard a couple of chat. Because I'm not sure to understand the sentence. If you could, <laughs> if you could it would be the cherry on the cake, like we say in French. Thank you for your podcast. Bye. Would you like to explain the uh, the policeman from Hello Hello? Yes. So, uh, well, firstly, congratulations on the job. This is a listener who was listening to us to learn English. God help him, because he had a job interview coming up, so <laughs> it didn't go that badly. And congratulations. I think that's a world first, isn't it? That's that's the first time we've ever well, managed we've to get someone get a job. We've helped anyone. The first time we've committed something <laughs> yeah. constructive to the world. So, Officer Crabtree in Alo Alo was a British secret agent posing as a French policeman. And the joke was that he th- thought he could speak f- French... But he couldn't. He just spoke English with a very bad accent. It's gonna. This is impossible to explain. It's a complete mindfuck. It's difficult. The, but, the, the problem with the because every character in Alolo, depending on their nationality, obviously didn't speak in their national language. They spoke in a really 
comic French accent. Yes. And the German spoke in a very German accent. So the idea was Officer Crabtree spoke bad French. So what he actually did was speak bad English in a French accent. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, hello, by the way. A Second World War sitcom. A sitcom set in World War II in German-occupied France. Yes. From the 80s. Very, very funny. And a bit of a cult classic. Very funny. So that's the joke. So so Officer Crabtree would come in and he would always say good morning instead of good morning. Yes. So let me just just Google Translate (laughs) and I'll try and say in French what he's trying to say in French. For anyone, he says, I was pissing by the door when I heard two shots. And what he's trying to say is, I was passing by the door when I heard two shots. And what he actually says is, I was weeing by the door and I heard two shits. <laughs> I think I think we've really cleared this up nicely for Jiro. <laughs> <laughs> I think this makes it perfectly clear for him. Right. So what he's trying to say is, J'ai passé devant la porte quand j'ai... Entendu du coup de feu. I think that's uh, yeah. I think that that's what he's trying to say. And what he actually says is, j'ai pissé près de la porte quand j'ai entendu quelque caca. <laughs> and, and it plays on words. Yes. Yeah. So they sound similar in English. It's very difficult, Jira. It's. I mean, that's what happens, isn't it? When you when you have puns, plays on plays on words in a language, and it's not your first language, it's quite difficult yes. to pick them up. So there we go. <laughs> Many of our listeners right now are like, fucking Gone. get on with it. <laughs> I can edit that down Christ so it's snappier. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and then we had um, Frixie Dust, who spoke to us before, and she said, love your podcast, blah, blah. She's mentioned that she that my pole vaulter joke made her laugh for days, but I can't remember my pole vaulter joke. I think it was it something, something a about a German sportsman. Is that a Frenchman jumping over the wall? No, it's a pole vaulter. Something like that. <laughs> right, OK, yeah. And um, she she also points out that we were pronouncing Saskatchewan. 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 And Saskatchewan. <laughs> Incorrectly. <laughs> wow. It went from Yoda to Karate Kid. <laughs> <laughs> that was a whole Emphasis gamut. Emphasis is on the... F- Emphasis is on the first syllable, apparently. Sus! <laughs> oh, now we've got a chihuahua saying it. <laughs> Superb. Anyways, that was fixed. So thank you, thank you for your feedback, chat. Uh, oh, we've Very also had one on Facebook. We had Phil Porter messaged us to say, I found your podcast just over two weeks ago, and I just finished listening to every episode. That's an impressive binge. That's a lot of episodes in two wow, weeks. Wow, good work, Phil. He goes on, yeah, you're no Dan Carlin, but you put out once a week rather than once a year on my birthday, so I guess you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that message. Good oh, man. No, he's a... <laughs> no Dan Carlin. Which I told, I, I, to which I responded, that's literally the nicest thing anyone's ever said to us. A quote for the tour poster for sure. Also, as if I put out once a week, you have to buy me at least two packets of Quavers for that. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I it's a once a month treat. <laughs> Great. He also offered to buy us a beer if we're ever in Oregon. So that was genius I, tour very nice. on the cards. <laughs> the first tour. Right, let's do a podcast. Come on, fucking hell. This was supposed to be a quick one. We'd be recording for 25 minutes. <laughs> oh, God. Flip something. Flip it quick. What are we, flip it. Ah, flip it real good. What are we going to flip? What am I going to flip? Oh, I've got, I've got a manual for a new Casio watch that I bought. Oh, How's well, that? that was... I think Casio was probably the world's first digital watch. There we go. We can bring that Casio's on. Casio's cool. Uh, do you want the front of the manual or the back of the manual? I will have the front with a picture of the watch on it. 
It doesn't have a picture of the watch on it. It just says module number 3160. Oh, that's the second best module after module 21C4C. It's a very good one. It's solar-powered, would you believe it, Sam? This watch is solar-powered. I'm never going to have to change the battery. I do, however, have to wear a solar panel on my head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what happens if you've got a long <laughs> sleeve on? That's a design flaw. What happens if it's night? Yeah, that is true. It's your wristband. No time for you. Mmm. <laughs> or Britain. Or Britain, yes. Mm. <laughs> Time will tell. I am well, going, coming from New won't Zealand. Time will tell. That's precisely the problem. <laughs> That's the oh, basic problem God with this watch. Damn it. <laughs> God, God damn it. I didn't realise you can get motion ones. You get ones that charge up through the motion. My watch does that. Oh, excellent. Which is probably why it's so charged up frequently. <laughs> <stuff>. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. I wear it on my left wrist, so it's like someone else is charging it. <laughs> <laughs> Right, flipping. <laughs> right, you choose. It landed in your favour. You get to choose. Uh, well, it's very late where you are. and far too early for this shit where I am, so I'll let you go first. <laughs> okay, perfect. Right. I'm going to talk about Magellan's first circumnavigation of the globe. And I bet a lot of you are going, oh, we've heard it all before. I haven't heard where it pronounced Magellan before. Well, how do you pronounce they're, it? They're not Magellan. Or am I just completely fucking up the English language? Mm, okay, let's go. Well, it's not the English language, is it? It's a Portuguese it language. Portuguese language. It probably let's, is Magellan, then. <laughs> right, what I've typed is Magellan or Magellan. And let's see what it comes up with. It comes up with Magellan. So it comes up with Magellan. <laughs> Done. Fixed. <laughs> Maybe it's emphasis on the first syllable. Magellan. Magellan. It's Magellan. <laughs> Magellan. <laughs> Magellan. <laughs> I'm going to carry on with Magellan. I'm happy with Magellan. As a topic, his circumnavigation of the globe, it isn't really a topic that occupies some sort of distant, vague, historical backwater, is it? Although Magellan did end up sailing through some backwaters, it's worth noting. (laughs) Any port in a storm? Absolutely. Well, some of his uh, some of his crew certainly explored each other's stagnant backwaters. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I kid you not, there was actually a sodomy trial early on in the journey when they were crossing the Atlantic. Not to be confused with trial by sodomy, which is like very, very different. <laughs> so there was actually a sodomy trial. It was the cabin boy who ended up... Not Ro- not Roger the cabin boy. <laughs> it wasn't Roger the cabin boy, but it was very much an occasion of Rogering the cabin boy. Yeah, the person involved, probably, presumably the one giving, was, I think, killed. And the one taking, I think, ended up jumping overboard. I thought I would give it our own sort of, that was genius twist. So I'm <laughs> primarily... Yeah, bum joke. Um, so I'm primarily going to discuss one of the original sources so um this chap that interviewed a number of the sailors who completed the voyage and it's quite an interesting source but anyway let's just give a quick summary um for those people who don't know too much about magellan's circumnavigation of the globe here's the briefest of brief summaries so magellan was a portuguese chap he approached the spanish king and asked if the spanish king would fund an attempt to reach the spice islands by going west Life is peaceful there by going west, lots of open air. By going west to begin life anew, going west to have a great big poo, I've written in my notes. It <laughs> rhymed. Anyway. That's right. I was going to make a Spice um, Girls joke, but <laughs> that was better. Yes, <laughs> the Pet Shop Boys trying to go and find the, the Spice Girls. Since the Treaty of Tordesillas, the Spanish were allowed to sail west and the Portuguese only east. And this is the Pope decided this in all his wisdom because he basically said, uh, you can go that way, you can go that way. What happens when we get to the other side? Magellan wasn't too popular with the Portuguese king either. So it all worked out quite well for Magellan to just go with the Spanish. 
The idea was to reach the spice islands in Indonesia and to tap into the lucrative spices market that the Portuguese were already getting involved with by going around the Cape of Good Horn and South Africa and then going across the Indian Ocean and so on. Oh, a couple of his crewmen received a good horn. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was, that was low even by my bloody standards. <laughs> Yes, well, uh, yeah, one of the first ports they arrived in, so when they first got across to the Americas and Columbus had only been a couple of decades earlier, so the, the Americas had only been discovered by Europeans a couple of decades before, one of the first things they did was settle in, I think it was Rio de Janeiro, which was occasionally inhabited by the Portuguese. They went to Rio de Janeiro and just bumped their way around the village because uh, the local ladies were apparently very accommodating. Arm the cannons. <laughs> the journey took around three years, from 1519 to 1522, and of the 270 men and five ships that set off, only 18 men and one ship returned. The message here, guys, is don't be a sailor. Yeah. Don't be a sailor in the early <laughs> modern period. Anyway, so Magellan was the first man to circumnavigate the globe. Am I right or am I left, Sam? Oh, you're ambidextrous, Tom. <laughs> I'm non-committal. Factually, is that <laughs> factually is that statement correct? Is Magellan the first man to circumnavigate the globe? No. Why? Because he didn't. Why didn't he? I've gone too far down the rabbit hole. I'm going to get this one wrong. Because he missed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> they skipped a bit. Exactly, Sam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the boat went through a porthole. <laughs> and ended up skipping, skipping part of the Pacific. Uh, no, it's because, um, it depends on how you define it. So let's talk about a Magellan slave, which we, and we're going to come back to him in a second. It was a slave called Enrique. So when the expedition arrived in Indonesia, this slave, Enrique, was actually able to communicate very effectively with the native populations. Enrique himself had been bought as a slave uh, by Magellan, and it suggests that Enrique actually was brought up nearby, and so he could well have been the first person to circumnavigate the globe, yeah. this, this slave called Enrique. And Magellan himself didn't actually make it all the way home. 18 people did. Uh, and we actually have all of their names. Another 17 made it back after the initial ship Victoria returned. Um, Magellan himself was actually killed in the Philippines whilst being a bit of a dick and insisting <laughs> that a local tribe become Christian. And the local tribe attacked a much smaller force of Spaniards and, and defeated them, killed Magellan in the process with bamboo spears. And his body was never recovered. The tribes people took it back with them. And so he didn't even get back to Europe. So his body didn't even get back to Europe. Although... There is an argument that he did circumnavigate the globe because he had apparently been that far east prior to going that far west. So it could well have been that Magellan actually did circumnavigate the globe. So it's not quite as uh, the answer to that question isn't quite as simple as you'd think. Okay, <laughs> and done. <laughs> so it could well have been a, a sort of lesser known member of the uh, of the party who was the first person to circumnavigate the globe. Anyway, when Magellan was killed, I'm sure probably the rest of the crew weren't too bothered when the local tribes people didn't return his body because I'm not sure you'd have liked to have travelled the rest of the way back home with a rotting corpse in the boat. Well, there's a reason why they usually <laughs> threw them overboard. And I, well, yes, actually, I don't, yeah. actually that, I don't know if the Spanish did throw them overboard or whether that was just British because some European nations buried them in the, the bilge. <laughs> they basically put them down with a poo <laughs> and hid oh, them in the bottom right? of the boat. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know I what would, the Spanish. Hold did. on. No. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why, when you're in a boat on a sea, would you keep your own shit on board? No, I, I got that bit wrong. They used to keep them down in the. <laughs> 
no, the bilge, bilges came. Bilges we in that sense came later. Get rid of it. Bilges in that sense came we later. Can't. Hang on. <laughs> Um, no. Keep filling the hole, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we're sinking. We're sinking after th- after three years at sea. We're sinking because of the weight of the poo. No, we can't possibly get rid of Poo's it. Who's lighter than water? We've all been eating beans. Come on, we'll float on our own shit. <laughs> <laughs> you won't be regretting keeping it when we all go overboard and you need a life raft. <laughs> Will you? <laughs> Quick, grab, grab, onto, turd, grab onto that log. <laughs> I, I misspoke. Oh, that's mine. <laughs> oh, I, I did that one two weeks ago. I misspoke. It's not until obviously not until the twentieth century when people started storing poo on boats. But I, but I think certainly that certainly the French <laughs> did used to store the dead. They stored them down in the in the bottom of the ship, the very bottom of the ship. Very nice. And the Spanish might have done the same. But yes. Oh, there you go. I'm sure they would have done. I'm sure they would have tried to take Magellan home. A terrible Although... way of stopping diseases from spreading around your navy, by the way. Oh, it's, yeah, I, I don't think I would have liked to have any dead bodies on board, I must admit. Yes, talking of the of the Spaniards and whether or not they would have been happy with Magellan back on board. Well, actually, there was a, because Magellan was Portuguese, there was a lot of angst between the Portuguese members of the expedition and the Spanish members of the expedition. And there were a number of mutiny attempts. And certainly it was not a, uh, what's the word? It was a journey that was riddled with problems amongst the uh, amongst the crews. Anyway, I like that the whole concept of the colonial European powers insisting that indigenous tribesmen accept Christianity certainly makes me laugh. And this was one of these occasions because Magellan was actually invading this other island and attacking the, the tribes people is because he was determined to actually convert them to Christianity as well. It's the best way. Brutally attacking is the most effective way of proving how loving your God is. It's a remarkably stupid way of ruining your journey, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. He could have got all the way back with spices from the Spice Islands and all the fame and fortune that would have come with being the first man to circumnavigate the globe, but he got killed, insisting that some people become Christian when they had no idea what he was actually talking about. <laughs> they just knew they didn't like it. Or they just thought he was very interested. Oh, this is great fun. Oh, look at him dancing around and wetting my forehead. Oh, they've all started to sing and they're doing things with their hands and looking to the sky. Very interesting. Better kill him. Bored of this now. Yes, yes. It's a very smelly chap from bleeding gums. But it's interesting, very interesting what he's up to. It's very agreeable. But it has been going on for quite a while now. I think I'd quite like to eat those other tribes people that we, uh, that we uh, captured the other day. They look rather tasty. Oh, hello, Enrique. How are you? <laughs> oh, Hello. Long time no see. Where have you been? Oh, I've just been around the globe. Launched a pop career. <laughs> My dad was very good as well. Julio. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes, anyway, that's enough of that. I've given you a bit of a summary, haven't I, of what happened with Magellan? Yeah. Eventually, one boat got back and about 18 people got back. So that's, that's, yes, remarkable. Very remarkable. Anyway, let me introduce my source, my saucy source, and let me sing the saucy song. It's only short, very short, because nobody likes it long. Now, letter from... <laughs> Maximilianus Transylvanus. And uh, the best thing about his name is I just said anus twice. Yes, yes, you did. (laughs) To the most reverend cardinal of Salzburg. And I got this from Wikisource. Wikisourcey source. And this is my Wikisource song. And let me sing the Wikisource song. It's only short, very short, because nobody likes it. Wikilong. Maximilianus. (laughs) You're such an idiot. My my, my notes are very... (laughs) How little sleep have you had this week? How little sleep have you had? My notes are very patchy. Uh, Yes, so Maximilianus Transylvanius was an author who interviewed the survivors of the expedition in the few years after the expedition returned home. And his short summary survives to today, and it's one of the earliest secondary sources. So here it goes. A lot of it is very factual. A lot of the the account is is what we all know, because there are other sources that 
correspond nicely to what's being said in this source. But there are some interesting bits. This is one bit that I quite like early on in this source. Quote, the remainder of the whole world has now been sailed over by our countrymen, and yet nothing trustworthy has been heard concerning these man-monsters. It must be believed that the accounts of them are fabulous lying and old women's tales. So it's kind of that stage in European exploration where people are starting to realise actually the dog-headed people, the people with heads in their chests and all these sort of people don't really exist. We do, however, get one cool little account of some people, some natives that they encounter that, that is a little bit borderline fantasy. This is that when the... Um, expedition arrives at the Gulf of St. Julian, which is a little inlet in kind of the middle of Argentina. Quote, this Gulf of St. Julian seemed very great and had the appearance of a channel. Wherefore, Admiral Magellan ordered two ships to explore the Gulf and anchored the rest outside. After two days, information was brought to him that the Gulf was full of shoals and did not extend far inland. Because obviously at this stage, Magellan is um, going down the east coast of South America and desperately trying to find the sort of fabled inlet El Paso which would take him through the continent mm. and out into the Pacific and obviously there he would be able to get across to the Spice Islands carrying on with the quote our men on their way back saw some Indians picking up shellfish on the shore and they called the natives of all unknown lands Indians they were extraordinary height that is to say about 10 spans were clothed in the skins of wild beasts and seemed darker than would be expected from the situation of the country when some of our men went on shore to tell them and showed them bells and pictures painted on paper they began a hoarse chant and an unintelligible song dancing round our men and in order to astonish them they passed arrows a cubit and a half long down their throats to the bottom of their stomachs and without being sick and forthwith drawing them out again they seemed to rejoice greatly as having shown their bravery by this exploit bit weird isn't it <laughs> i've seen films like that on the internet oh, God, so. so you've got these great lanky natives <laughs> who are trying to show off that they can put swords basically they're sword swallowers which i thought was very interesting yes. very bizarre i wonder how tall they actually yeah. were i can't imagine they were really that huge what's a span are we talking because we're talking very hands small yeah they would have been midgets but they could have been very far away yeah although oh, no, that wouldn't have worked <laughs> that would have made them look even smaller what did they say I, I just let me reread the quote it was 10 cubits wasn't it i thought they said 10 spans a span is 22 centimeters so actually no, they're very tall yeah that's pretty big isn't it well, that's got to be in the seven foots yeah very yeah. tall very big swords and they had an unintelligible song which made me think whether or not they were singing the strange song that was referred to in one of our earlier episodes in a, a Norse exploration. Ah. You know, the Leif Erikson. Yeah, the, the, the odd song. song. Anyway, could have been the same one. Could have been that the whole of the Americas, yeah. this one song was incredibly popular. The odd song. <laughs> and what song it's was that, It's only a game show. Believe I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be swallowing this sword tonight. I'm famed for my big height. Better believe I'm right. My grammar's a little bit worse, though. Big break. Good. Thank you very much. I was thinking it was I Am the Walrus. <laughs> but I like yours better. Yes. <laughs> the odd song. So the Spaniards go ashore and they actually capture one of the Indians, one of the very tall Indians, and quote, the third was brought to the ship but died within a few days of fasting, which he had imposed upon himself according to the habit of the Indians through homesickness. And though the Admiral sent again to that hut in order to catch one of those giants to uh, take to the king on account of their novelty, yet no one was found there. Oh. Lovely regard for fellow human beings, isn't it? Oh, you're curious, aren't you? Let's take you home. Yes. 
we'll have you tag yes. your slave <laughs> you're coming back with us as a freak show oh this one died <laughs> catch me <laughs> another i'm very inconsiderate of him Yes, and eventually when they're travelling down the coast, they find what is now known as the Straits of Magellan, um, named after Magellan, who was a chap who, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who was the first to find the Straits of Magellan. They quote the length of the channel there tests to be nearly 100 Spanish miles. So they find this strait and then they travel through it. A quote, uh, this is when they reach uh, the Pacific. So they, they go through this channel and they reach the Pacific. And this is where they just are amazed at the sheer size of the Pacific Ocean. And obviously it's called the Pacific Ocean because of Magellan, because he called it the Pacific Ocean, uh, because it was very <laughs> passive, hence Pacific, hence Pacific Ocean. I thought he named it because he was just talking about one ocean. It was one ocean, that's Pacific Ocean. And from there, oh, stuck. Yes, the I think you're stuck. probably right. That sounds like a far more feasible explanation. <laughs> um, <laughs> quote this is them in the pacific and um, they actually thought instantly when they got to the other side when they got to the pacific ocean they didn't think it would be a very long journey before they got to the spice islands and also incidentally they weren't actually the first europeans to see the pacific ocean a few years earlier a spaniard yeah. had crossed panama and had managed to go to the, get to the other side of the continent, obviously where it's very narrow. And a lot of explorers had actually probably seen the Pacific by going east as well, by going east to the Spice Islands and so on and so forth. Anyway, quote, They kept this course uninterruptedly, nor did they ever depart from it, except when rough weather or violent winds compelled them to diverge. And when they had in this manner been carried 40 days by a strong and generally favourable wind, and had seen nothing but sea and everywhere sea, when they had almost reached the Tropic of Capricorn once more, two islands were sighted, but small and barren. These they found uninhabited when they tried to land. Still, they stopped there two days for their health's sake and general recruiting of their bodies, for there was very fair fishing there. They named these the unfortunate islands by common consent. They're actually islands owned by Chile, not far off the coast of Chile. Then they again set sail thence, following their original course and direction of sailing. And when for three months and 20 days they had been sailing over this ocean with great good fortune and had traversed an immense part of the sea, more vast than the mind of man can conceive, for they had been driven almost continuously by a very strong wind. They were now at last arrived on this side of the equinoctial line. And at last they saw an island called, as they learned afterwards, Inuagana by the natives. So probably ah, Guam. Okay. Imagine that three months and 20 days without seeing an island with strong winds. Fuck me, that must have tested your yeah. patience. God, and, and yeah. Imagine. Turns out the Pacific's quite big, isn't it? Turns it is, out. It is pretty big, yeah. The, I mean, the mind would wander, wouldn't it? In superstitious times when they didn't know what they were what they were going to encounter and you're on an open sea for that long, man. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, so when they... Uh, uh, this is when they arrive in, in Indonesia area and this is where they start trying to convert all of the natives to Christianity. This is a sort of incident where Magellan seems to convince one of the major tribe's leaders to convert. Quote, Magellan beheld in the chief's hut one sick and almost at the last gasp. He asked who he was and what illness he was suffering from. He learned that he was the chief's grandson and had now suffered for two years from a raging fever, but he told him to be of good cheer and that he would immediately recover his health and form of strength if he would only become a Christian. The Indian accepted the condition and having <laughs> uh, adored yeah. the cross, he received baptism and the next day declared that he was well, rose from his bed, walked and took food. Like the rest, he told I know not what visions to the Indians. Need I say more? Which is sort of probably one of the minority because most of them... <laughs> 
when exposed to the Christians and smallpox, died. Um, So it generally went the other way around here (laughs) with that. He started growing some lovely, healthy (laughs) bubos. He got oh, no. a lovely reddish hue. And the delightfully say, no, healthy the sneezes is cough. good. No, he should be sneezing. It's a sign he's recovering. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's illness leaving the body. Yeah. yeah. That's what sneezing that's, is. Those hot temperatures, wonderful. Good sign. Good sign. That's Christ in his body. That's vitality. Yes, that's yeah. God warming the blood. <laughs> uh, yes. Magellan manages to convince this tribe leader to become a Christian. But when Magellan gets killed, his slave Enrique gets treated very, very badly by Magellan's replacement, a chap called Serrano. So you could say that Serrano wasn't Enrique's hero. Why is that a joke? Sorry. That's an Enrique Anglesia song title. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, here we have it. Here's the quote. So Enrique Enrique actually <laughs> took part in the attack on these um, this tribe that was refusing to become Christian. Quote, Serrano, who could manage nothing without him, spoke to him very harshly and told him for that he had not ceased to be a slave and bondsman because Magellan was dead, but that the yoke of slavery would be heavier and that he would be severely flogged unless he did the services required of him more zealously. Basically, Enrique had been wounded in this battle and was just taking a bit of time off. Uh, but Serrano said, no, we need you as an interpreter. Anyway. Bad mistake by Serrano, because Enrique then uses his... We've all had bosses like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wankers. And um... you, have, you have to come in. I know you've been shot in the leg. I know you've taken an arrow to the knee, but you're booked on the night shift. <laughs> I, I'd still expect you in work. Yeah, I still yep. expect you. Enrique doesn't take this very well and actually stitches Serrano right up. So Enrique goes back to this original tribe's leader who had converted to Christianity and tells him in his native language that Spaniards are bastards and their greed is insatiable. And the tribes people turn on the Spanish and basically drive them out. They capture Serrano, quote, shortly after Serrano was brought down to the shore, bound most cruelly, and he begged them to redeem him from so harsh a captivity. He said he had prevailed upon them to permit his being ransomed if our men would only do it. Though our men thought it shameful to leave their commander in this way, yet fearing fraud and treachery, they put out to sea, leaving Serrano on the shore, weeping bitterly and imploring the help and assistance of his fellow countrymen with great and grievous lamentation. That is a graphic scene, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> a captain being left in chains in the middle of fuck knows where. <laughs> Bye. See you later. And he's on the beach going, fuck me. <laughs> I don't know where I am. Anyway, yeah, that, that sounds like a really rather horrible, horrible predicament for Serrano. Anyway, they oh, get out of that pickle. Just. In the end, they sort of make their way to the Spice Islands to, to load up with spices, cloves, things like that, that will, if they get home again, which they did, would make the journey profitable. And they arrive at an island called Porn. Excellent. According to the source. Nothing funny about that. The islanders of Porn told them that the king wore in his crown two pearls of the size of a goose's egg. Hence, they went to the island of Gillow, where they saw men with ears so long and pendulous that they reached their shoulders. When our men were mightily astonished at this, they learnt from the natives that they were another island not far off, where the men had ears not only pendulous, but so long and broad that one of them could easily cover the head if they wanted it. <laughs> and they've learned all I of like this, this from bit. the Isle of Porn. <laughs> on the island so of Porn, where people have big ears. stories about long and pendulous things on the Isle of Porn, aren't there? <laughs> that could cover the head. Weirdly, though, when there's an island of Porn with people with long pendulous things, quote, but our men, who sought not monsters, but spices, neglecting this nonsense, went straight to the Molochas. Um, <laughs> these men were nonsense. 
Don't be silly. And I. <laughs> Not interested in long pendulous ears on the, on the island of porn. <laughs> and uh, yes, they buggered off. Anyway, the journey then ends. They sail home only, as I mentioned, only if 18 of them get home. And they uh, quote, Worthier indeed are our sailors of eternal frame than the Argonauts who sailed with Jason to Colchis. So that's kind of how it ends. So they get home eventually. But a fascinating journey. And I obviously knew, you know, everyone's heard about the circumnavigation of the globe by Magellan. But it's really, really good fun reading these primary sources and getting a really good idea of what actually happened. Very interesting. Yeah. That is a twist on the classic. Twist on it. Did you know much about the uh, circumnavigation of the globe? I, we studied it a bit in school, but never much more than that, really. I didn't realise Sir Francis Drake, so Sir Francis Drake circumnavigated the globe only a couple of decades later. For queen and country. Yes. Brought back potatoes. Spuds. What a treat. Spuds and cigars. Spud, did he, was it Sir Francis Drake that brought back tobacco as well? I believe it was, yes. And I can't remember, there was something he was going to do some... The potatoes, they didn't initially want to eat them. I think there was something else. They had nefarious plans for potatoes, and I can't remember what they were. Whether they wanted to smoke them or not. Warfare. <laughs> Who can say... Warfare. Anal beads. Well, well, they tried that against the Irish later. (laughs) With some success, it has to be said. (laughs) Biological warfare. Light warfare, yeah. Well, Tom, I've I've gone completely the other way today. I've gone... A failed world first. Well, actually, it was a failed world first for Magellan, wasn't it? It didn't make it all the way around. Exactly. So like you, yeah. <laughs> like you, I've gone for a failed world first today. And as I've said, I'm doing another British eccentric, which I know I've done a lot of recently. But, uh, they're, but they're fun. fun. <laughs> they're fun. They're my shipwrecks. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I do any excuse for me to do Tom a likes nice... a shipwreck. Yeah, Voyage of Discovery. And I bloody love an English eccentric. So, but I promise I'll be more creative next week. So this is a story, Tom, all about a mountain, a plane crash and a fad diet. Yes, Tom, it's the attempted 1934 scaling of Mount Everest by British nut job Morris Wilson. Very good. As some of our listeners will probably know, Everest wasn't officially successfully climbed until the Hillary Expedition of 1953. I'm calling it the Hillary Expedition to make sure that Norgay all the Sherpas Expedition. who were also on it <laughs> yes, <laughs> also get their recognition. <laughs> Wasn't Edmund Hillary? It was the Hillary Expedition. <laughs> I always find that hilarious because obviously Edmund Hillary is a Kiwi, is a New Zealander, and uh, the New Zealanders are very proud of him. And uh, come on, guy, how many people know Edmund Hillary's name? How many people know Norgin? Um, was it? Uh, see, <laughs> I can't. Tenzing Norgay. Tenzing Norgay, exactly. So I even forget his name. It was also up there at the same time. Yes, two of them carrying all it. of his shit. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> carrying his piano, and showing him the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, I did it the other day. Yeah, I'll show you the way. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a little house up there actually. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> lovely up there. Great views. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, they get to within ten meters of the top, and then Hillary goes first and just sprints to the finish line, <laughs> bonks him over the head with a pan, <laughs> bonk. <laughs> 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 Trips him up, just throws a banana skin onto the crevasse. Yeah. Like a game of mountaineering Point, Points Mario from the horizon goes, avalanche! And then runs. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! <laughs> 1953 was when um, Hillary and friends ascended Mount Everest. And the first successful solo ascent of Everest wasn't until 1980 by a guy called Reinhold Messner. So from this information, Tom, we can pretty safely say that Morris Wilson didn't make it. <laughs> And we'll find out why soon after a message from our sponsors. Abraham's dildos. Do you like dildos? Do you like Abraham Lincoln? We've got Abraham Lincoln shaped dildos just for you. 
Big one, small one, some as big as your head. <laughs> All American themed dildos. Behold, the four inch fathers. <laughs> Behold, the Emancipation Proclamation. <laughs> the Thanksgiver. <laughs> and for the more adventurous type, the Manifest Destiny. <laughs> Fit the whole thing up your Oregon Trail and win a free steak. <laughs> now on special, the Mississippi Mud Pie. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Message for the sponsors complete. <laughs> yeah, there was absolutely no chance in a million fucking years that Morris Wilson was going to make it at Mount Everest because he had literally no knowledge of climbing. He had no knowledge of hiking. He had no knowledge of flying, Tom. So his plot to deliberately crash land a plane onto the side of Everest, then sprint up the last few hundred metres, was never going to go well. <laughs> That's not a good idea. That was the plan, was it? That was his plan. His plan was to fly, with no flying experience, to India from England, deliberately crash land on Everest, and then just run up the last few hundred metres and become the first man to, firstly, summit Everest, but also to do it solo and also to land on Everest. Is there a landing strip at the top of Everest? No, no, there's not. No, hence the crash landing. <laughs> <laughs> and as we'll soon see, not very good at the flying part, actually quite good at the crashing part. Anyway. <laughs> what a weird idea. Well, it was a publicity stunt. And what could he possibly be publicising by doing this, Tom? Presidential. Presidential <laughs> dildos. No, Tom. <laughs> Although there's a dildo with the same name, he was planning on doing it for the glory of God. Right. <laughs> now on special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he was planning on becoming the first man to climb Everest just to prove that if God wills it, you can do it. And in a way, I feel bad, Tom, because this is clearly just a story about a madman. <laughs> but at the same time, fuck me, it's a good story. <laughs> it does sound very much like someone mentally ill, yes. Yes, yes, it really was. So... Morris Wilson, born in April 1898 in Bolton, right near me in Manchester. And he was the son of a mill owner. Good Bolton job, that lad. But instead of going into the family business, he decided to join the army as an officer on his 18th birthday, because obviously it was World War One, And he became a hero of the Battle of Passchendaele and won the Military Cross for keeping a machine gun position firing single-handedly and holding off a German attack as the only surviving uninjured man in his unit. So a very good soldier and a very <laughs> Bloody Jerry's. Wrong accent, Tom. Wrong accent. He was from Bolton. Bloody Jerry. Yes. You call that a dugger dugger dugger? I'll give you a dugger dugger dugger. You daft bosh twat. I've got here a selection of jokes written in the style of Take Me Out with Paddy McGuinness, but I don't know if that's going to translate to our international audience. At any rate, no likey, some shooty. Let the bosh see the bayonet. Let the mortar see the mud, etc., etc., etc. Without expanding into into vague <laughs> noughties TV references. <laughs> yeah. Do you get Take Me Out in New Zealand? <laughs> I don't watch the TV. Sorry. Um, good <laughs> I know what it is. I know <laughs> what you're talking Probably about. for the best. It's a dating programme presented by a man from Bolton, famous for its catchphrases. Anyway, a few months later, he was seriously injured and sent home and remained in quite serious pain for the rest of his life. <laughs> after... Hey! <laughs> and that's it for this week. <laughs> so after the war, he bummed around a bit between the UK, the US and New Zealand represent and despite the wealth of the family business, he was actually a pretty miserable bloke prone to a lot of pain and a lot of coughing fits. 
A bloke from Bolton being miserable, fuck off, has it? A bloke from the First World War being miserable, fuck off. What? <laughs> Chronic pain and shell shock. Fuck you, fuck off. you big wuss. Get down the mill. <laughs> yeah. Back to the spinning jennies for you. So he was in constant pain and quite miserable. Until that is, he discovered quackery, Tom. Oh. Sorry, what I mean by quackery is faith healing, Tom. He discovered faith healing. In 1932, he claimed to have met a man in Mayfair who could cure the incurable through a 35-day fasting and prayer retreat. Not 34. You don't cure it with 34. <laughs> no, 36. 34 isn't glorious enough for God. Yeah. <laughs> too much. 36 is too, too much. much. It's like chemotherapy. It just kills you off. 35, yep. just right. It's the magic number, as De La Soul once sang. Uh, yeah, 35. It's magic, it's number. magic number. <laughs> Don't eat for 35. It's the magic number. Anyway, it sounds like a barrel of last, doesn't it? 35 days of constant prayer and no eating. At any rate, Wilson claimed not only that he'd been cured by the Christian mystic, but that it gave anyone the power to do anything purely through the power of faith and prayer and not eating anything. And it turns out, because he was a mill owner, also quite a lot of money. <laughs> Mm. Money helps you do anything, along with praying. If, if I were to try and climb to the top of Everest, one of the first things I would do is try and put on some fat, not start fasting. Yes. Don't you think? I mean, that would make sense to me. Have a few excess calories around your midriff. It would, that would make sense. But as we've said, Tom, this was a man who had very little understanding of what mountains were <laughs> and how to climb them. <laughs> he was also, as we've discussed, mad. <laughs> Quite mad. <laughs> well, how, how big are the mountains in Bolton? Was that pretty much what he thought Everest was like? <laughs> well, as we'll come on to, Tom, his training did involve some local rambling. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, he believed that you could do anything purely through the power of faith and quite a lot of money. So it turns out, Tom, that Huey Lewis actually got it wrong on two counts because you just need money and lots of faith. Don't need to eat no food to cure your pain. It's bullshit and nonsense. Are you out of your mind? But you don't seem to care. That's the power of prayer. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love a bit of Huey Lewis in the news. Good shit. Absolutely. And what better way, Tom, to show that anything is possible if you just believe in it and stop eating than to do the literally impossible. After all, if prayer can cure your illness, it can also get you to the top of the world's tallest mountain, right? It's logic. Insane logic, but logic. He would let technology take some of the strain by flying to the lower reaches of Everest and ditching his plane before hiking up the last few kilometres, planting a flag and being back down in time for last of the summer wine at a pint of mild. <laughs> and to be fair, Tom, to be fair, let's not judge here. It was a completely impartial test because Wilson couldn't actually use skill to get up the mountain because he didn't have any. So if he made it, it was all on God. It was, it was God was really helping him out. <laughs> Yeah. God was really giving him a hand, giving him a leg up. He genuinely knew absolutely nothing about mountains. He didn't even know that Everest was covered in snow. Right. <laughs> Nor had he ever been in a plane, Tom. But he was rich. <laughs> and so he set about preparing. Cute sporting montage, but to the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme tune. <laughs> because he started to prepare for the harsh mountain conditions of the Himalayas by going on holiday, Tom, to Snowdonia. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. And the Lake District. 
in summer because he didn't want to get cold. (laughs) (laughs) So he had a very nice time rambling from village to village, looking at the pretty hills and going, this mountaineering is easy. What a lark. This is easy peasy. (laughs) And I'm walking the whole way. When I get my plane, I'm only going to have to walk (laughs) half the distance. Look at this. There's a bloody train to the stop of Mount Snowden. (laughs) I just get the train to the top of Everest. This is brilliant. Maybe I could take the train with me. Brilliant. Yes. Put it on the back of the plane. Well, actually, no, because that would involve taking some equipment with him, Tom, and he didn't. He <laughs> didn't take equipment. What no, did he go he take anything. Well, we'll find out soon. A flat cap and a... <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah. He just took two pints of mild with him, a packet of pork scratches. With braces and a flat cap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a whippet. <laughs> this is a, a stereotype about northern gents. Having strolled through some very nice countryside, he decided that this climbing malarkey was far too easy and uh, and so decided not to bother with any of that daft safety gear. Didn't think he'd need it. As well as being a terrible climber, Tom, he was a terrible pilot. He barely scraped the pilot's licence, taking twice as long as he should have done to pass, despite the fact that he could just pour cash into it. And almost immediately after passing his test, and just a few days before he was due to set off for Nepal, he managed to crash his plane into a field, which... To be fair, good practice. I was about to say, it's just, yeah, exactly. That was the best preparation. <laughs> yes, I can, in fact, crash a plane. We've got the climbing, we've got the crashing. We can I, uh, do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well on the way. <laughs> Two out of three. We've got this nailed. God is watching me. God help me crash that plane. <laughs> the press, unsurprisingly, had a field day with this insane man who had just crashed his plane before even setting off. And to try and nip it in the bread, the British Air Ministry actually banned him from flying. But, Tom, through the sheer power of God's will, he just ignored them and took off anyway as soon as he patched up his plane, which he'd named Ever Rest. Ha ha, pun. And would you bloody believe it, Tom, he actually managed to make it to India. <laughs> Despite being an appalling pilot, he made it as far as Persia with no trouble, but the British Air Ministry had actually sent telegrams to all of the airfields. Quicker, on than, route he, route quicker than he at. got there. <laughs> quicker than he got there, yeah. I mean, he probably got awfully lost. <laughs> Ordering that no airfield in the British Empire was allowed to give this absolute maniac any more fuel. So it seemed like his dream might just be dead in the water. Until... Just through the power of faith, Tom, just through believing, he managed to lie to one airfield manager that he was just giving up and turning back, so they gave him some fuel, and as soon as he was up in the air, he just turned around and carried on. (laughs) (laughs) Through the power of God, Tom, he managed to lie. And (laughs) God's will! (laughs) Tally-ho! Stick these pencils up my nose and off we go. <laughs> I am an otter. I am an otter. <laughs> Allow me to sing the odd song. <laughs> Passed me by a man in Mayfair who'd been to South America. <laughs> it's only a game show. <laughs> you better believe I'm right. I'm going to be dying on the mountain tonight. Oops, spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, we're up to that. <laughs> and so on and so on until he got to India. <laughs> imagine, being, imagine being on the same plane as him. Oh, that's a guy you don't want to be sat next to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah, so he managed to make it as far as India, where his plane was actually impounded before he was allowed to cross the border into Nepal. However, after a couple of months of bumming around, he managed to find his way to Darjeeling, which is right on the Nepalese border, and a beautiful place as well. I've been there, Darjeeling. It's lovely. He managed to escape across the border via a group of passing Sherpas who were heading through Darjeeling. Uh, He bribed them to basically dress him up as a Buddhist monk and walk him as one of their party into Nepal and to a monastery at the foot of the mountain. Now, fortunately, Tom, and this is where God really was smiling down on him, the monastery was firstly chock full of Sherpas who knew the mountain very well and also (laughs) chock full of very high quality mountaineering equipment left by an earlier expedition. God is is really trying to help him out here, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Wilson, however, being mad and an idiot, didn't really know what all of these ropes and things were for. <laughs> and besides, he had a map of Everest with a line drawn up it from the bottom to the top. So why would he need the Sherpas? <laughs> they were only going to get in his way and slow him down. <laughs> it's not like he had much more than a tent and a kettle to carry. And possibly some tea and biscuits. <laughs> the map was flat anyway, so it clearly wasn't that big a mountain. Absolutely. It was basically, he just got a bar of Toblerone and had just drawn a line and crayon up from the bottom of one of the mountains to the top. And so with a literal God-given gift of an abundance of expertise and (laughs) stuff he could have used surrounding him, he decided to leave it all behind and bugger off on his own one morning. (laughs) And on April the 14th, he began to climb. Meanwhile, God just slaps his head. (laughs) Thunder strikes. (laughs) Fuck me. What am I going to do with this guy? (laughs) Yeah, there's some massive volcanic eruption at some point in the world, which is just God slapping his forehead. (laughs) Krakatoa was actually just... (laughs) It's all right, though, Tom. It's all right. God gave him one more chance, as we'll find out. And let's see what he does with it. (laughs) So most of what we know after this climb began on April 14th is from Wilson's own diary, which was found near his body. Spoiler alert. In the first few days, he managed to, with some difficulty, struggle up the side of the infamous Wrongbook Glacier, a journey which would have been an awful lot easier if... Thanks, God, he kept the crampons he found in an abandoned camp on the way up. (laughs) Unfortunately, Tom, he didn't know what crampons were or what they were for, so he threw them away. (laughs) (laughs) Where's Pop? Out they go. (laughs) (laughs) Off we go. (laughs) Flippity flap up the mountain. (laughs) (laughs) I am a nutter. It's only a game show. (laughs) (laughs) He did eventually... Get up. He did eventually get about halfway up the mountain before a combination of starvation, snow blindness and a twisted ankle got the better of him. And eventually he did have to make an absolutely horrendous sounding four day trek back down the side of the mountain to the monastery where all of the monks and all of the Sherpas said, don't do this again. You're an absolute fucking moron. So two weeks later, Tom, he tried again. This time, a couple of Sherpas did insist on coming with him for help. With their help, he very quickly made it up to a point known as Camp Number 3, which was further than he'd managed on his own, before deciding that from here on in, it's easy. <laughs> and he abandoned the guides again. At this point, Tom... I've got this, boys. Whiz, pop, <laughs> <laughs> These two Sherpas just shaking their heads in disbelief <laughs> as he ran naked out of his tent up the mountain, wearing nothing but his flying goggles. <laughs> With a crampon on his head. <laughs> <laughs> This'll fix it. (laughs) So at this point, once he abandoned the Sherpas again, he had two options. He could take the faster and safer route up to the top, or he could use a slower path that had been cut up the year before by a previous expedition. They'd literally cut steps into the ice and left a rope ladder. Unfortunately, Tom, 
what does ice do over the course of a season? <laughs> yeah, it kind of melts and gets snowed on, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It 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 melts. <laughs> and so Morris fully expected that the steps and footholds cut into the snow a full year earlier would still be there, visible, easy to find, easy to use and safe. <laughs> With a handrail. So, yeah. With a handrail and some carpet. Still a stair lift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously, he failed again, couldn't find the steps, and a few days later rejoined the guides, slightly embarrassed, before sodding off once again for a final attempt. By this time, he was very weak and very hungry, and probably doubting whether God could actually hear his prayers all this way up. Yes, God had been hearing his prayers. God had pressed mute <laughs> just, by this literally, point. <laughs> yeah, God, God had finally just left the phone off the hook. <laughs> He'd literally been hurling climbing gear at this man for months. <laughs> it was raining ski jackets that night. <laughs> it was. Literally, it's raining down. Alleluia, it's raining down. <laughs> Kendall mint cake he woke up everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he woke up one morning in his tent and he was like, who the bloody hell put 40 Canada geese in here? <laughs> what am I going to do with this? There's an apparition. Who are you? Brian, <laughs> bless it. I'm here to help. Fuck off. I don't need any help. Morris <laughs> <laughs> Wilson's dead. <laughs> So he made this final attempt on the mountain and his last diary entry of May 31st simply read, off again, gorgeous day. (laughs) It wasn't a gorgeous day, Tom. It was halfway up Mount Everest. (laughs) And his body was eventually found by another expedition a year later. Now, there is a twist to this story, a claim that he may actually have reached the top and died on the way down. Let's just be clear, Tom. Not a solid claim. In 1960, a Chinese expedition reached the summit with a Sherpa called Gombu, who claimed to have found a British-style tent at 8,500 metres, which was far higher than any of the similar British expeditions of the time had managed. However, obviously this claim has been widely refuted by the climbing community, with a famous mountaineer, Chris Bonington, very famous mountaineer, saying that for someone as stupid and inexperienced as Morris Wilson, I think you can say with absolute certainty he would have no chance whatsoever. So there you go, Tom. That is the story of Morris Wilton, the guy who absolutely failed to climb Everest in a test of faith, despite having literally all the divine help he could possibly have wanted (laughs) on the way up. (laughs) Incidentally, Tom, and as a final and genuine world first, Morris was planning to crash his plane near the summit of Everest. Do you know when the first aerial ascent of Everest was, the first time anyone managed to land on the top of Everest, plane or helicopter? Oh, wow. I would have. You'd assume a helicopter, wouldn't you? It was a helicopter, yes. Okay, Ooh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, is that quite recent? That's. Yeah, I don't know. It was surprisingly recent. Two thousand and five. Right. Was the first time that anyone managed to land a helicopter on the summit of Everest. Why is People that? People have been flying around it for years. I don't know. I think it's just because the air is so thin. It's very, very, very difficult to make a controlled landing. Right. And obviously, the top of Everest is still quite pointy. <laughs> so yeah. you, you need to you need to be very good at helicoptering. Yeah. So yes. There we go. 2005 was when the, the first aerial ascent of Everest was finally made. Wilson may have been utterly mad, but he was nothing if not ahead of his time, Tom. There we go. A failed world first. Well, wonderful. Well, I'm glad we've been able to make fun of a war veteran who's probably suffering with mental health issues. Fantastic. Uh, me too. Me too. <laughs> you always do this. 
I bring you a great story. I bring you a gift. I bring you a golden bowl full of historical fruit, all the sweetness of the Orient. And you go, oh, yeah, but you're making fun of disabled people. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) With your respect for veterans and their PTSD. No, it was probably probably just a knob. At some point, you've got to accept responsibility for your behaviour, haven't you, Sam? Yes, I mean, despite God's best efforts. <laughs> That's an excellent story. That's very good. I've never heard He'd that He'd be before. very pissed off, wouldn't he, going up the mountain, the unspoiled wilderness. He'd be like, who the, who the fuck left all of this food here? Who Are you teasing me? Oh, this are equipment. you teasing me, God? <laughs> all these barking huskies. I'm fed up <laughs> yes. of this. With this sled. (laughs) What is this full map of the area with danger points marked on it? (laughs) What is this book? The Illustrated Guide to Ascending Everest Solo Without Oxygen, Having Not Eaten for Several Days. What is this? I don't know. It's just going to need that. It's ruining it. What about this giant container with, it says, Bear Grylls Robots times 100? (laughs) What what, what is that? (laughs) <laughs> Where's pop? <laughs> I mean, considering he was a man who owned a mill and didn't take any warm clothing with him. Yeah. <laughs> Literally had everything going for him, still managed to fuck it up by being Well, that's very English, mad. isn't it? <laughs> yes, isn't it just? Like... <laughs> isn't it just? English bought, you've just basically summed up. <laughs> That's me done, Tom. We should probably think of a topic for next week, shouldn't Very we? Very good. I think we've got some suggestions, haven't we, that we need to go back and look at? Oh, we do, yes. Serial killers, we got men- uh, someone mentioned. And that's a good one, yeah. We could do serial killers. I mean, are there going to be any f- incompetent... Should we try and find incompetent serial killers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> I mean, that's it, you've narrowed it down, <laughs> but we can certainly give it a go. <laughs> Should we try that? Should we try incompetent serial killers or failing that serial killers? Yeah, let go. Okay, we'll do that. Okay, nothing if not a challenge. But we definitely can come up with some good ones. Historical serial killers. Now, they could get quite interesting if we uh, strike an agreement not to do anyone in the last 500 years. Oh, no, come on. <laughs> you can't narrow it down to failed serial killers from pre-1500. That is no, a little that too is specific. Not failed ones. No, not failed ones. Well, tell you what, let's, let's do serial killers, but you're only allowed to do a successful <laughs> one if it's an ancient one. Done. All right, I like cool. it. Okay, well, on that very specific topic we've chosen for next week, good serial killers pre-1500 shit ones post... Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of That Was Genius, the Little History Podcast, with some facts and a lot of soul. Uh, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for That Was Genius, or That Was Genius Podcast. And you can also pop us an email, That Was Geniuscast at gmail.com. All remains is to say good night, farewell, and goodbye. I am an otter. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might go hiking. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>